Thank you, James and Mabs. Let me express to all of you what a joy and privilege it is for me to have an opportunity to come and share with you on this very special day in the life of our church. I celebrate with all of you the wonderful leadership of the Reverend Jay Cooper, along with the associates here, Jillian and Lucas, give to this congregation. On this Veterans Day weekend, I'd like to share with you, I was in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago. Brenda and I caught a taxi to Arlington National Cemetery to visit the grave of my oldest brother, who was a pilot in the Air Force serving in Vietnam. And as we walked among those markers that day at Arlington National Cemetery, I thought about that inscription that is found over the Allied Cemetery in India where so many American soldiers are buried. The inscription reads, tell them that we gave our todays for their tomorrows. I love that inscription. Tell them that we gave our todays for their tomorrows. Our scripture lesson today is found in the Sermon on the Mount, the sixth chapter of Matthew. I would ask you to stand as I read these verses found Matthew 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupts, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasury is, there will your heart be also. This is a word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Sir Winston Churchill said many years ago, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. One of the most unusual experiences all of my life took place in this beautiful sanctuary 13 years ago. There was a young man in his late 20s that walked into this beautiful sanctuary, sat down in the pew near the rear of the sanctuary. And when the offering plate was passed, he dropped into the offering plate a check in the amount of $100,000. When Imogene Strickland called me the next morning and told me what had happened, I was in a state of shock and when I finally gained my composure, I called this young man and thanked him for what he did. And then I asked him a series of questions. What motivated you to do this? And he said, every Monday evening, I am attending a Bible study with Patrick Quinn there at First Methodist Church, one of your associates. 
And more recently, he has been sharing with us how much the Bible has to say about giving. He has reminded us that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are over 2,000 verses about money and giving. When there's only 500 verses about prayer. He reminded us of the fact that among the 53 most famous parables of Jesus, 27 of those deal with money and possessions. And I have been convicted. He went on to say, I sold my business for $1 million the other day. And I wanted to give to the operating budget of the church the first 100,000. I said, you do not want it designated? He said, no. He said, every Sunday morning when I turn off Fairview on the Cloverdale and I take my drive around Cloverdale Park and I see that beautiful sanctuary amid the pines, I am so deeply inspired and I know that a beautiful big sanctuary like that has a lot of hidden costs. And he went on to say, when I hear throughout Montgomery all the wonderful things that First United Methodist Church does for greater Montgomery, I just feel warm inside when I have the privilege of giving to the operating budget of this church. After I heard that young man's response, I thought about how through the years, churches have used gimmicks, guilt trips, fear, and left to give people to give more to the church. And all the while we need to be like that young man in his 20s. We need to think about what the Bible says. And so today I want to lift up three simple verses that are found in Holy Scripture. The first is found in the 24th Psalm, the opening verse, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. God is the owner, the creator and sustainer of all things. Do you really believe that? God is the owner of all things. I've always loved the story of the New York City attorney who was selling the state for one of his clients that had died when he discovered that his client had owned one parcel of land in Louisiana. And so this attorney in New York City wrote his colleague in New Orleans asking if he might do a title search on that one piece of property. And he did. Two weeks later, he wrote back the attorney up in New York saying he had completed his task and got a clear title. But the attorney in New York City was not pleased because he had traced the title all the way back just to 1831. And he wanted a better 
titled opinion. He wanted to trace back further than 1831. I'll always love the letter that the attorney in New Orleans wrote, the attorney in New York City. Listen closely. He wrote, in the year 1803, the Louisiana Territory was acquired by the United States from the Republic of France, which in turn had acquired the title by the discovery of a Genovese sailor by the name of Christopher Columbus who sailed under the authority of Queen Isabella, who obtained permission and blessings for the voyage from the Pope, who was the vicar of Jesus Christ, who was the son of God and the heir of God, who made Louisiana. <laughs> I like that story. God is the owner and the ultimate owner of all things. That's the second verse I'm going to lift up to you today, and that is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. <clears throat> Philip Giardella, many years ago, was commissioned to write a biography of the Duke of Wellington that he later entitled The Duke. You may have read it. But he told the story that he struggled in vain to find all the information that he needed to write about the Duke of Wellington. He could not find it. But then one day, he stumbled upon the check stubs of the Duke of Wellington. And when he stumbled upon the check stubs, he could write the story of his life. You could write the story of my life by doing that. I could write the story of your life. Our pocketbooks always follow our interests, the things that are the most important to us. My mother was an amazing mother. She had only five boys she greatly sacrificed to see that all of us got a college education. During the last months of her life, she was living in a little, small assisted living facility in Linden, Alabama, next to the little hospital. I visited over there one day and the delightful manager was laughing and saying, you won't believe what your mother does each Sunday morning. She takes a wheelchair and she goes down the hallway and she knocks on every resident's doors to get out of bed and come to the living room and watch the 11 o'clock service from First Methodist on WSFA television. <laughs> I started to say the scriptures do say compel them to come in and that's what my mother was doing and I was embarrassed by it. I said, mother, don't make them do that. But my mother listened intently each Sunday morning. And one Sunday morning during the stewardship emphasis, she said, I want to give you some motherly advice. She said, you can always attract flies with honey more than vinegar. So always be positive. 
She said, I've been listening to you in stewardship sermons and always talking about if people are giving more to the football teams and the country clubs than they're giving to the church, they've got a spiritual problem. Don't do that. Be positive. I said, my mother, there are a lot of rich folks in First Methodist. And I have a difficult time separating them from my money. I just have to share that. She said, but don't do that. Well, several weeks passed, and I went back to see my mother, and the manager called me aside again. She said, you won't believe what happened yesterday. Said, you were preaching on money and possessions, and the Holy Spirit must have gotten a hold to you because you said, if people are giving more to the football teams and the country club than they giving to the church, they got a spiritual problem. And the manager of the little assisted living facility said, when you said that, your mother rolled her wheelchair up to the television set and said, I've heard enough of that, and she cut off the television. <laughs> I don't mean to harp on that subject. But we are judged by God by our priorities. We need to be good stewards of our resources. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, if there's any greater measure of a man than of what he does, it is by what he gives. The third and final thing I want to share with you today is to whom much is given, much will be required. To whom much is given, one translation says, much will be expected. That's what that 20-some-odd-year-old young man shared with me. <clears throat> Gratitude always expresses itself in generosity. Gratitude always expresses itself in generosity. One of the greatest Christian men that I've ever known was Paul Andrews Duffy. He was born on December the 13th, 1920, in Brownsville, Tennessee. When he was eight years of age, he moved with his parents and eight siblings to Carville, just east of Tallahassee. Following year, he was accidentally shot in a hunting accident, almost lost his life, but God spared him. Surely God had a great plan for his life. He graduated from Tallahassee High School, Birmingham Southern College, Vanderbilt Divinity School in Nashville. And in 1946, he entered the Alabama West Florida Conference. He served churches all across this Alabama West Florida Conference. He served the Marion United Methodist Church in West Alabama. He served the Abbeville United Methodist Church and First United Methodist Church of Dothan in Southeast Alabama. He served First United Methodist Church in Pensacola, in the southernmost part of our conference. 
He served Dexter Avenue here in Montgomery, First United Methodist Church, and then was a Montgomery District Superintendent. I was a delegate to General Conference, General District Conference in 1980 when he was elected a bishop and served for eight years in Kentucky. When he retired, I invited him to come back home to Montgomery and be a part of our church staff as a bishop in residence. And he did. And what a marvelous blessing he was. He was a man of impeccable character. He was so good at bringing me down through the years. Unbelievable. For some strange reason, when I came to the conference, he took an interest in us. And I remember so many good things he did for me through the years. I think it was because I came from a small church in a small community. Well, I was the second smallest child in my elementary class. I graduated as salutatorian because there were only two people in the class. And I'm sure he thought I needed a lot of help. As his health began to fail him, Montgomery, he didn't want to be bothering anyone. And so he made a decision to move to Gainesville, Georgia, to be nearer his son, Paul Jr., and his daughter, Melanie. And then one day I received that telephone call that you never want to receive that he had been taken to the Northeast Hospital, Northeast Georgia Hospital in Gainesville. It was in critical condition, did not have long to live. Brenda and I got in the car. We drove up there as quick as we could. We pulled into the parking lot. And I never dreamed I would have such a spiritual experience. When we walked into the lobby and took the elevator to 538 and walked to the room, all 10 members of his family there were there. And Brenda and I made 12. And then he did something unbelievable. This holy man in the holy space that he had created with his spirit there asked the nurse if she might lift the head of his bed where he could see everyone in the room. And when she did, she took a pillow and she propped up his head. And when she did, for all 12 people in that room, each individual, in his weakened state, called the name of each one, Paul, Melody, David, Tanya, his children, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, five grandchildren, and I knew Brenda and I were going to be the last. 
And as he called each name, he said those specific words directly to the person he called the name. And when he had finished calling each name, including my own, he reached out and took my hand and said, God, would you offer a prayer for the goodness of God in my life? And I feebly offered a prayer. And it wasn't too long after I committed him to God that he died with a smile on his face. And he moved from this militant life to the church trumpet. Brendan and I came back home. He had asked me to officiate his service here in the sanctuary. And as I was putting my thoughts together, I called his daughter, Melanie, back in Flowery Branch, Georgia. And I said, Melanie, I'm putting together plans for the funeral. Your daddy had such a broad vocabulary, such a beautiful broad vocabulary. I wonder what his favorite quote might be. She paused for a moment. And daddy often said to us, down through the years, always err on the side of generosity. Let me tell you a secret this morning. That's good advice, not only financially, that's good advice for every aspect of life. Always err on the side of generosity. So I challenge you today as you go back home and live your life to the fullest. Always remember these words of Bishop Paul Duffy. For these are the words in which you will find happiness and fulfillment if you'll always err on the side of generosity. Amen.